Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I I am so excited to have TEDx Wellington. I've got DK and I've got Hannah Wignall. DK, what what do you do? You're the top of the food chain at TEDx Wellington. Is that right? I'm the licensee, but I wouldn't say I'm the top of the food chain. Oh. I'm very much just in with the the, the ranks, you know? So, uh, yeah, even though I'm the licensee, I'm also doing lots of other things. Spoken like a true organizer. That's uh, that, was a, <laughs> that was a trick question. And Hannah, what do you do at TEDx Wellington? Um, so I'm head of the delegate experience, so uh, the experience side of the uh, event, and I also do a lot of other things. I guess you could say DK and I co-organized event okay perfect there's um you know there's a website called 17 hats and it's for entrepreneurs who are like solopreneurs and you know how you wear 17 hats so it's Mm -hmm. got it has billing and it has all the different things that you need in one and i whenever i talk to folks other organizers like you have to wear 17 hats to do to do the job right so i want to hear um your your story about how you got involved with TED and it might have been before TEDx. What, what was your story? Um, I'll, I'll let DK go first because he's, he's uh, uh, been involved a little longer than I. Okay. So I came to Wellington about five years ago and very quickly looked up when was the next TEDx going to be in town and saw that there wasn't one. So uh, I organized one uh, very selfishly so I could attend uh, an event. But before right. that, I'd, I'd also spoken at TEDx Cardiff. I've been a speaker liaison at TEDx Cardiff, which is where I'm from in South Wales. So I had a kind of a history of knowing what the TEDx experience and sure. events were about. So obviously when I landed here, I wanted to go to one and help out. And like I say, because it wasn't one, I thought I'd stick my hand up. So I was five years ago. What brought you to Wellington? Uh, I, I had a job uh, uh, that brought me overseas um, and got me residency here in this beautiful country. And what do you do? Uh, back then, I was social media manager for an education company. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, so that really helps you as a TEDx organizer, doesn't it, when you think about how you get to pull the community together? Definitely. We have leaned a lot into uh, the social media stuff here and and globally as well, because we're part of a global conversation. When you become part of the TEDx crew, you're not just right. a local organizer. You're a global organizer. And, and there's a, a wonderful amount of resources online for the TEDx community, TEDx organizers communities, and, and you leverage in social media. I've definitely, when I've traveled, just got in touch with people over tw- Twitter or something saying, hey, I'm in town. Can we oh. connect? And so how many TEDx's have you been that you weren't directly organizing or involved in? I think, yeah, I counted once. I think I'm up to about 20 odd now. See, I knew it. 
And <laughs> I knew it. Well, you know, it's it's like that, right? Because once you do it, you want to go see how others do it. But you're yeah. also, um, when it's not your show, you actually get to be in the audience and enjoy it, right? You get to sit and listen and... One thing, and, we, do, hmm. one thing we, we do in, in New Zealand a lot, because we're such a small country, all the TEDx organizers know each other quite well. So we, we, we have got a great community that we gift tickets to other TEDx's within the country. We can do that because there's seven here in New Zealand, seven, seven TEDx wow, organ. Wow. And then we obviously just make make sure that when our events come around, we're saying to TEDx Christchurch or Queenstown or Auckland, hey guys, there's a couple of tickets there for you. Just make your way down. You can come as our guests. I love that. And um, and I, I guess there's also a, a level of affiliation with the Australian TEDx's as well. And we, we have spent a little bit of time with them. Uh, we had a... a Australia and New Zealand uh, workshop uh, at TEDx Christchurch a few years ago, and that was really cool to meet everyone. Um, and we also do a big shout out on this on our TEDx Wellington stage to all the other TEDxes in the area. So it's it's a good little community. Oh, I I you know I love it. When you think of last year, there were thirty three hundred TEDxes in twenty sixteen, yeah. and well, I mean we're just I mean I'll have twenty five shows in in this first batch. Thanks for being a part of the first batch. Thank but I, I haven't even touched, you know, a tiny, tiny bit of the percentage. I could do this full-time all day, every day. Actually, <laughs> I should do this full-time, all-time, every day. Um, what um, what makes Wellington's TEDx unique? And I want to save what you did last year. But in general, what would you say about your approach is is different? Um, there's, there's two things. I guess the first thing is that uh, we don't, well, we put a lot of emphasis on the experience, the user experience. And you could, I mean, if you wanted to put a figure to it, you'd say 50% of it is the stage experience, the speakers, the performers. But 50% of it is actually how does the delegate feel when they come into the event and and can we wow them? Um, do they, I guess one of our aims is to have, it's a long day. So we yeah, want them yeah. to leave feeling energized and not drained and, okay, that was a, lot of information to take in instead right. we want them to leave buzzing and happy and uh, and ready so and, in um, in oh. doing that right because i mm-hmm. we think we all think about that right because we've got three yeah. or four sessions and there's a yeah. there's an emotional arc a narrative arc that happens Absolutely. amongst those sessions and and the breaks and all of that do you have a sense of those peak energy times and Give me an example of when energy is low and what you do to boost it up. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I guess first thing is, yeah, there is that uh, the narrative and there's a, an energy arc, uh, if you will. Um, when I when we're thinking about the event, we try I try and put on maybe not seventeen hats, but maybe ten hats, and think right. of you know you've. Think of all the different types of people you know. You've got your introverts, your extroverts. You've got your cynical people. You've got your oh, right, sure. optimists. And they're all going to be there. So you need to be able to put yourself in their shoes and say, okay, when I come out of this second speaker session, how am I going to be feeling? And what am I going to be looking for? Am I going to be looking for a quiet space? Am I going to be looking to uh, get my photo taken? Do I want a memory of this? Do I, et cetera. You can imagine. So I, I try and put on an, a lot of different uh, personalities when we're going through the day. Um, uh, example, perfect example, last year, uh, 
at the end of the second speaker session, uh, we had a talk on funerals. Uh, it oh was, my gosh. Um, it was quite an intense topic. Uh, talk was very, very thought provoking. And, and we thought, right, I mean, they're going to be quite reflective and, and that's OK. And we do want them to have a space to reflect. But we also want to bring them out of that because they've still got another session to go and they've still got to mingle and chat and eat and enjoy themselves. And so one of the things we did was <laughs> we partnered with um, a kind of a kitten shelter and we got them oh, to. Oh, no, uh, you didn't. We got them. We got them to oh. do uh, a little kitten pen. So when oh, people came gosh. out of this talk on funerals they got to pick up a fresh burst of life a little kitten it was yeah it was definitely a highlight and one one of the elements of the story last year that people talk about a lot okay listener write that down (laughs) contact your humane society and get them to bring over rescue kitties and you'll probably get all the kittens taken but you'll have a lot of love for them and who doesn't love pet and a kitty Oh, oh, what a what a clever idea! That was I, I yeah. love that, I love that. What if, that was your idea. Your DK's pointing well, at you. No, so. he's pointing at me. I guess I actioned it, but I do have to give credit to Saab. We mm. were sitting in a boardroom, uh, chatting about the event, and okay, what can we add to it? And mm. and he said mm. puppies, and then <laughs> we thought, we thought, where are the puppies at? And it was a lot. Uh, I think kittens. Uh, rang rang true and uh and look even if you don't like petting kittens you can't stop the smile on your face when you're watching someone else doing it yeah 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 you're absolutely right you know that there's uh kitten cafes in tokyo now yeah Uh, we want one i would i would love to do that give me another example of that attention to detail on the user experience that might be something you think is uniquely new zealand Oof. Oh, the New Zealand bit caught us off guard here because ah. <laughs> from around here. Um, but that being said, we we do challenge ourselves for the last couple of years to do something unique. And I'll be very honest. Uh, when I started the TEDx uh, program as a licensee, the, and probably the same for you, there are so many rules and governance points that we have to stick to yeah. that I found quite limiting. And then I uh, quickly changed tact and thought about stuff that I've worked with my clients with around, you know, constraints liberate your imagination. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Imagine if they're going to become. So what we do every year is try to look look at the rules and see what's not there and have some fun. And that's what drives us, really, rather than thinking about, well, we're in New Zealand, what can we speak to? Obviously, there's some cultural uh, bilingualism things that happen here, which probably don't happen everywhere else. Like we have uh, someone from the Maori community or the local iwi is called, iwi is tribe in Maori, um, come and do a little, um, little mihi. uh, Or Fako Papa, I think it's called. But they open the session. uh, And it's quite powerful. It is. So they they speak in Maori. They give it a blessing and they speak in English so that we can understand what they say. That's probably very unique here. I remember the first year we had a little hacker done as well. Uh, and different TEDxes in New Zealand do different versions of that. Everyone I've been to does have a Māori opening. I love that. So that that is very much a New Zealand thing. Um, having been there and visited and gone to the Māori museums and studied that culture a lot, um, it's it's very interesting about in that way. So when you think about... Um, how many years have you done TEDx Wellington? This will be our fifth. 
TEDx. Fifth TEDx. Yeah. And yeah. and so there, there are some, some challenges there when you get to the fifth one, right? You're not keeping it fresh and what do I do and with the mm. team and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and I'm, I'm blessed to sit at the crossroads of all these conversations where I'm hearing this from people and, and how they challenge themselves against all of those. Um, I, I though look at uh, the organizers, right? Because you're the leaders, right? You're the ones who are kind of driving the team and the mission and keeping everything on point and keeping the team going. Um, to that end, I think that uh, you need a superpower. So I, I love mm. working with people who have superpowers and I have them, I have six superpowers and you get to pick two each. Um, okay. <laughs> or, organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, and partnering. Ooh, okay. Do you want to pick one? I'll pick another one. Okay, yeah. Um, I think, I think probably curating. Okay. What is it about curating that you think you elevates it to a superpower for you? Um, we we're um, we just focus on the experience. We Mm. it it like I said before, it's fifty fifty. We're not just saying okay, we'll just chuck in some food and we're going to curate an experience for these people. There you go. And and it's going to be one they're not going to forget. And that. I mean, that says it all, right? My main job yep. is everything outside of the stage. DK's main job is everything on the stage. I um, had a speaker at TEDx Santa Barbara because I'm also getting, um, I'm also interviewing speakers and other people in the ecosystem to get a point yeah. of view that it's, this is really about behind the scenes, right? It's, if you really like a TED talk, why don't you go listen to the show and hear a little bit of what you know, makes it tick so that we can get more organizers. Cause that's the other thing I'm thinking about is having more people do more Ted's. And I said to him, because he's a, you know, he's a famous speaker. And I said, what was it about that your experience? And he said, when you told me that you curate the audience, he said, that was a high stakes audience for me because you really were thinking about them as much as you were thinking about anything else. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that, uh, that you're saying that because I, I believe that it's all of those things coming together so that when that person steps in the red circle, that idea has uh, everything conspired to have that idea take flight because that's why we do what mm-hmm. we do, right? I mean, that's the only reason we do what we do. And yeah. uh, and and when the audience is jazzed and excited and their energy is coming out and that speaker feels it and then they start to talk and then and that whole energy exchange that happens, then boom, it's like it's magic. Mm-hmm. You know that. I mean, your listener, they're both mm-hmm. shaking their heads violently. So um, DK, what's your nodding, superpower? Nodding. You're nodding. There you go. Yeah. DK, um, what's yours? I go to the producing side and I would focus as well on the speaker production. So we are in TEDx Wellington circles. We produce speakers. We don't just find speakers. We have to find ideas worth spreading. And actually we focus when we put a call out for speakers just on that alone. The ideas were spread. We don't really care if you're, you're a have pedigree on the stage or have done 20 years in this, you know, public speaking. And um, half of our talks, I think every year, this is their first kind of big talk anyway. Wow. So we have to produce 
good speakers. Mm -hmm. So we do um, quite an energetic coaching sessions with them. So that's over five weeks before the event. We take them as a tribe and uh, we take them through the whole process um, and build a tribe as well and build their literacies around what makes a good TED talk and where we focus on trying to speak to their authentic self, right? Because you can't have one single model for every speaker. Right. You can't have one single framework for everybody. Everybody's an individual. So we have to work hard, not just in those five coaching sessions, but we do a lot of one-to-ones as well outside of there. Uh, and to me, that's when I, I really enjoy that story arc for watching these people develop and, and stand with grace and humility at the end of it and just deliver something which is just something of themselves, you know? Isn't that a joy, like you give them that hug right before they go out there and it's like, you got this, right? And they're freaking out. You know that, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> they're freaking out. And it said, you have this. Um, our event was uh, one week after the Olympics. And oh, yeah. at our speaker dinner the night before, um, one of them walked up to me and she's a, an accomplished speaker. And she's like, Mark, I she was just so nervous. And I said, listen, You've lived your whole life for this moment. Think about the people at the Olympics who saw their first Olympics when they were six or seven and decided, gosh, if I could go do that. And they work and work and work at their sport. And it's over in 21 mm. seconds. <laughs> and they only have to be a millimeter better than the best person on the planet to win. And I said, all you need to be is 1% better than the best you've ever been. Yeah. And that's watching that arc of development, right? Because a TED talk is so different than yeah. any other kind of talk, right? Um, I, I, I love that attention to detail. I'm curious, though, after five years, what's the biggest surprise for you as organizers in having done this so much? For me, I can jump in very quickly and just say that I keep bloody doing it. <laughs> so the surprise is that you're still here <laughs> surprise every year i go okay do that let's have another go at that um because as you know it just envelops your life yeah, it takes it does. so much from you yeah and it's not a sad you know pity party here but it is such a, a an energy drain it is and a commitment so you have to go to that with your eyes wide open and um, uh, every year I, I'm surprised because I, I always muck around and say, that's it for me. It's the last one. Uh, but every after it, I go, oh, i got this other idea. <laughs> we, re we retired after three years. We did uh, 10, 11, and 12 and said we're out. And we didn't tell anybody we were out. We just said yeah. that was it. We just didn't come back. Because it, it, you're right. It's a huge drain. But then – we just couldn't stay away and we did a live and then we did another live and people said, where are the speakers? And, you know, my wife's a speaker coach. So we just said, okay, let's do it. And then after the first, said, what, what are we doing? You know, it's like, why are we doing so? So I love that. The big surprise is that we keep doing it. It's because we love it. It's fun and we're making a difference and that's why we do it. Hannah, how about you? What's your biggest surprise um, been? Well, uh, I guess that it gets easier. So oh. the first, the first oh. one you do, it. I mean, my stress levels as I've the longer I've been involved, when the big day comes, have been less and less. They're they're a little, you know, the stress manifests itself in different ways. But yes. there are certain elements that get easier. You trust the process. You 
you can you can rely on the audience to a certain extent and and it and i think it genuinely gets easier and, and unless you're going to do stupid things uh like we did last year and you know challenge the audience to trust you um but uh it no it definitely gets easier and that that's been a surprise for me uh, i'm um i'm 27 and and so a lot of this is a learning curve for me as well um I, I, I want to go back just quickly to the the speakers and, and DK's curation uh, of the talks. And I just want to mention that a lot of TEDx uh, events that we've been to, they do, uh, they have um, the talks all be one length. And, and one of the things we try and do and DK tries to do is really uh, get that idea across in, uh, in the time needed. And I know that's an aim with TED, um, but you've got a you've got an individual idea and sometimes it only needs six minutes sometimes it needs 18 but um i think for other tedx's out there don't be scared to change the um length of your talk um, and have confidence with it uh, i will let you know that uh internally at in new york the video the editorial mm process um i learned this oh, at one of the hangouts <laughs> was that um some when when okay, so we all as organizers upload all of our talks right and then they're viewed yeah. and we, you know we all want that to be considered to go on ted.com i mean that's the holy grail right you have one of our talks go on ted.com mm -hmm. and what i heard was they would look at that and mind you they see 120 talks a day um so they'll say you know that idea could have been communicated in six minutes. Why did they have 18 yeah. minutes? So how I'm, – I'm curious. Um, th this, is, this is a good one. When you're listening to them pitch the idea or you're thinking about this, how do you decide – yeah, this is this is a six or a twelve or this is an eighteen. What, what's your? Let's go into the advice part of this. What? How do you advise someone about that? Uh, for some people, it's obvious. Some people, you just listen and you go, "Okay, that was a lot of stuff you got to just to make a point, mm -hmm. rather than just make a point and back it up with these two things, rather than the five things." Yes. So it could be just a a, a reductionist approach okay uh, because they just got too much stuff in their talk yeah yeah yeah. that's all for other people there is definitely a, a little bit more craft involved and changing the whole way that they approach the the sharing of that idea um it, again that could be reduction it could be additive as well where that you go well how can we engage the audience in this piece uh. um rather than just you talking about it. One example for that is that we had a a guy talk uh, in all about chocolate and the different varietals oh. of cacao. Oh, and okay. he had just started Wellington Chocolate Factory here okay. in town. He sure. hadn't been open maybe six months, eight months, yeah. similar like that. His name's Gabe, by the way. <laughs> and um, big shout out to Gabe. And, and he was just talking about how chocolate is just very much like wine. You have different grapes that makes different wine. So think about chocolate. Different varietals make different chocolate types and flavors. And we were all like, great, great. And he was just talking. It was a standard talk. And we go, well, is there any way that the audience can taste what you're talking about? Hmm. Right? So we got him to create uh, – there was a little packet that we handed out just before his talk. They we weren't allowed to open it. And it was the final talk as well, which I'll come back to in a minute. But he – in the packet was three things. One would have been – 
because many people have never eaten a raw cacao. Uh, second was, uh, sorry, then there was two same things, a flake of chocolate. And they were from different parts of the world, made from right. different cacao. Nips. Right, um, right, right. The idea was taste chocolate first, you know, brand new. That's what chocolate really tastes like yes. without any processing. Yep. Yes. Right, isn't that interesting? That's bitter, blah, blah, blah. And he's going, so now I've talked about different varietals. You're now going to eat two very different types of chocolate. One is from Peru, blah, blah, blah. Eat that. So people got to taste what he was talking about. Um, so you can see that, that now we're starting to shape talks around experiences again. Right, right. And trying to pull the audiences. And the reason we stuck him on last as well, not just because it's always good to go out on a good talk. And a yeah, high, yeah, yeah, of course. Positive, but we wanted people to leave tasting how good 10x Wellington was. <laughs> <laughs> was a very subtle mind psychological nice. hack there. Of just nice. Like let people taste how good it is. But his talk, I think, was about 14, 15 minutes uh, in the end. And we usually, people start in the first coaching session, usually people turn up with an 18-minute talk. Right. And then through the process of those five weeks, we start to shape it and craft it and edit it down mm. to something is usually 12 minute uh, I think only last year only two people had 80 minute talks yeah. on the stage I, I guess I, I'll just add uh, DK you've when you run these uh, speaker coaching sessions you have authority so people you, you ask them to trust you you ask them to listen to you so they're not offended when you say could I please could you let I recommend cutting down this section you know they've bought into the idea very early on that they're about to be coached and that you have got their interests uh, and and so i think you've got uh you establish the authority to tell them mm -hmm. it's better shorter or it's better with this and and they listen to you and they trust you so i guess as a, for speaker coaches uh out there again i would i would say make make it clear that uh that they're going to learn from you and and right. that they should they should leave an ego at the door because it's not about them. It's about the idea. And we yeah. reinforce that by having some past speakers come back who give a little bit of insight about what their journey was. Uh, but they also are there to reinforce our expertise. And they do without prompting. They usually end up saying, look, you know, listen to DK, listen to Saab. Uh, these guys really help you to sharpen what right. you already have uh, in, the, in the format that you, you're now going to present at. So it's a real lovely validation that we mm. kind of uh, have from our past speakers and our alumni to come back in and feed feed those newbies coming through. I talked to um, Greg, who runs TEDx Fargo, and mm -hmm. he has 150 alumni speakers. And next cool. year, he wants to invite all of them and then mm. set up 50 meetings with each of them so they can meet all of the community and all of the entrepreneurs and wow. all the city leaders. And it's like, yeah, it's fantastic. In, uh, I, I think now is when I'd like to hear the story, but I'd like to understand what the biggest dragon is for you. And when I think of dragon, I'm thinking of the, the hero's journey, you know, we, we have every great story. There needs to be a challenge that you overcome. And what, what's the big dragon for TEDx Wellington? Um, honestly, it's uh, sponsorship fatigue. So uh -huh. uh, getting, getting the sponsors uh, to stick at it and, and to, or uh, re -engage, engaging new sponsors. It's, um, I mean, we did make things particularly difficult for ourselves uh, last year when we, we had a theme trust. Uh, 
and we can talk about this in a second, but we didn't tell anyone anything about the event. Um, we just asked them to trust us, and that included sponsors. And um, oh, and it was really difficult. Yeah, it was a really difficult conversation to have, um, saying, "Look, support the event, but we can't tell you anything." Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's been a challenge, and it continues to be a challenge. Uh, Wellington's a small place, and right. and I guess. There are a lot of charities in New Zealand. Uh, TEDx Wellington is now a registered charity. Yeah. And uh, and I, I guess it's, yeah, that sponsorship fatigue. I think it's uh, it might not just be TEDx Wellington, mm. but it might be a lot of other um, non-profits out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we keep, we keep trying. We keep trying to tell the story in a slightly different way. Um, each year we manage to put on the event, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, uh, it, that's our challenge. It's interesting that you use that word because I use that exact word. It's the fatigue. Yeah. Right? Because you find they're very excited, but it's like they're not going to underwrite this thing forever. And no matter how Mm -hmm. great of a partnership you build and you're building us, you need to build a sustainability around the brand as well. Right? So, Mm -hmm. and that we don't have anything that we can sell to build a recurring <laughs> revenue stream, right? So that when you think about, yeah. like, if you were running a, a business, you would have some kind of sustainability program so that you had, you know, all of those yeah. things. So that's just uh, one of the dragons, right, that, that we, have, yeah. uh, we have to take care of. Um, what is – so in that regard, or, or you could pick any you want, but – for first timers who are listening, because there's a lot of first timers who, who are thinking about doing this, and it's like, what am I going to do? And, and come on, you, you're five years. What's that? Mm. If you you walk into one of the workshops, okay, here's a perfect example. You have workshops. What's your lead piece of advice? So for the last couple of years, we've changed our language around volunteers. Uh, we, you obviously need a group of people to put on any type of TEDx event. As we know, it's non-profit. We can't make money out of this. We don't get paid. It's all voluntary. And our organizational team is built up of people who are also saying, yeah, I'll give some time to this. So the volunteers idea, specifically to the organizational team, not on the day itself. I mean, the, the, the backbone of stuff. Yeah. We've changed our language in the last couple of years to actioneers. Oh, I And like that's that. been a very specific strategy for us because um we wanted people not just to turn up we wanted people to understand this actually will take time will take effort and energy and a lot of doing and it's the doing things that aren't that sexy as well when it comes to like right. phoning people up yeah. emailing people where are we going to get our t-shirts printed today or can we get a deal with another printer blah 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 it's all the kind of unsexy things rather than turning up on a day and standing on a stage with a t-shirt on and says yeah i'm involved in this right it's a lot of running so our, our, our big lesson for us was that we can subtly change language and also with that intent and it's helped us this year to get a group a bigger group of people together and Who are awesome, by the way. Which are Shout brilliant. Out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're going to listen to this. Yeah, and that's extended into our meetings that we have. Oh. So when we get together and have, you know, the team gets together and yeah. have a meeting together, yeah. and we meet every three weeks at the yeah. moment, and I'll, you know, become more frequent as the event comes closer, we have action meetings. We don't get together and talk. We get oh. together to do. And if there's any talking that needs to be done, we try to do that over email or, or in the week. Um and this is we have updates, obviously, from the the individual teams. Right. Uh, but then it's a it's a shotgun update, 
where you only got five minutes. It's kind of like uh, a scrum. A little bit, definitely. Yeah. An accelerated conversation. If people don't know what a scrum is, right? Just well, yeah. That, that, and I'm sorry, line. my engineer is showing. My geek is showing right now. So mm-hmm. scrum sure. comes from agile engineering. Go look. And it's go- just a Google rapid, it, listener. Yeah, just a rapid kind of uh, bullet point list of what's being actioned or that you need from other teams. And then it's about right. We've got another hour and a half of this. Go into your teams. Let's do stuff. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess I'd just say, so we've we've got a, a, a team solely focused on the interactive space, the, the experience side of it. We've got a community team, so a team focused on engaging different areas of the Wellington community. Uh, with with the TEDx Wellington, there's a, there's a natural audience, um, right, but what sure. about those people that don't have access to it or, or don't hear about it? And, uh, and then we've got... Uh, marketing and communications we've also got an operations team so they're the ultimate doers um but we we've quite uh strategically uh you know planted these mini teams i guess um to try and make sure that we get the most out of um most out of the actioneers and uh and that they they don't get too fatigued (laughs) they've got one job now, normally, the next question I ask is, what are you looking forward to in your next event? But I, I think that I want to hear the story about your last event. It comes from a request, uh, an invitation, if you will, from uh, a specific venue that said, we'd like to host you. Now, bearing in mind, uh, historically, we've never gone to just one venue. We've always had it in a different venue every year. So okay. we've never found a spiritual home yet. Uh. And uh, we were having some frown lines happening when we were discussing certain venues here in town because they didn't get the TEDx story really deeply. Um, There was a lot of logistics and loopholes and things that we had to find and jump jump through. So we got an invite from a a venue in town. And I won't tell you what until – because that's the big reveal, right? And they just said, we'd love to host you. We initially turned them down because they they were small. They were 200 and the year before seating, we, seating for 200 seating, yes yeah seating for 200 now the year before we had it in a, in a venue that held 400 so we were growing right and it felt like a, a reduction mm, and right. kind of going back and maybe right so we rejected it initially and then we thought let's revisit it and they said a couple of things that make us say yes one thing specifically was that they'd help us out on everything they want us there um they'll give us a great rate blah 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 so you know just for finances it was a great offer right it's very important when you run these events yeah you bet they had all the av built in right so as you know the three biggest things are cost which is av venue and catering so two of them are enclosed in one plus they'll do some of the the catering for us wasn't yeah. they? they had a kitchen oh my on gosh a oh my yes exactly so as an organizer you're going okay this is a really good opportunity yeah and the yeah. second thing they said is look we don't usually do this we don't use this event for public things there's some public things that happen here but that's very rare usually it's industry focused so that made us think about well if people don't usually get invited there or get right. a chance to be there that's a, a discovery idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. we discover it's kind of hidden and secret mm. almost. It's a, a venue and a space. Um, and then that led on to this idea, well, what if we put on an event that was secret? 
but oh. we can't call it a secret event because that sounds a little bit weird for because te- most people know what TEDx is, so it's a secret TEDx event. Well, mm. so then through iteration, me and Hannah working together, we came around this idea of trust, mm. and trust was the theme of our event. But we we extended into the the idea of you can can you trust us to put on a TEDx event in Wellington? And in doing so, can you buy a ticket based on the idea? We're not going to tell you who the speakers are. We're not going to tell you what the day consists of, or even where the venue is. Remember, we got invited to a venue that not a lot of people goes to. Yep. That's the, the, yep. the cat list of this whole idea. And that went silly then. So <laughs> at the end of the day, um, we, we went hard at it, and the sponsors and the partners weren't told anything they had the same information as our delegates which was nothing except for a date and the price and when the tickets were going on sale um i I have no i have to ask i have to just uh, before Mm -hmm. we have the reveal so how did you get the team the actioneers to have the cone of silence that was my b- biggest challenge in a sense of I'm uh, Hannah always was going, you got to trust them. You got to trust them. Oh, you, you know, so you trust fit. extended there. I mean, trust is trust, right? Yeah. So we had to fold the team into yeah. everything and we had to say, we know if this goes out, where it's going to come from in a sense, but we trust you that it's not going to happen because you know what we're trying to build you. We had a smaller team last year and it, it didn't, nothing got out at wow. all. Wow. That's right? spect- I mean, hold it that's better than a government keeping secrets right yeah <laughs> we we to be fair we, the we we bring on board some volunteers for the day that right. aren't part of the core team and right. we didn't tell them till until the day before right um so they signed up again just like a, a ticket holder um and uh yeah i mean yeah trust you've got we've got to trust as well it's not just about other people trusting us so when it came to actually pushing go on the tickets though yes. you know that was a scary part of the story because <laughs> we didn't know we we knew on social media we had great traction when we announced this type of event we had uh, i think 250,000 reach on organic reach on facebook announcing the event with the theme of trust and we're not going to tell you so that was amazing we had great coverage uh people only on social media, very little traditional mm. press coverage. But social media ate it up because of the story. So when we pressed go or, or tickets are now available, yeah. we all sat around this little table going, I don't know how it's going to go. We got 200 tickets to sell. And boom, let's do it. Went on sale. And uh, we, I started to get text messages about a minute in, minute right. 30 in. Right. Two minutes in, lots right. more emails, texts right. from people, our partners and sponsors and also other people in the community saying it's broke. The, it's the websites, broke. you know, websites saying it's sold out. Uh, so we had to quickly go with our event ticketing um, partner and say, oh, you know, it what's broke. happening? Yeah. They're like, no, it's sold out in two minutes, under two minutes. It's sold oh my out. God. <laughs> and we're like. Oh my God! We check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and right. We had to get a we had to get a quote from this CEO um, to put out because a lot of people on on social media were were being quite gutted. They were about upset. It. They oh were yeah, upset. no, of yeah, course, upset. right? Of course. Ticket scalping, wherever there was some allegations and stuff. So we got a CEO literally from the ticketing provider to say this was one of the fastest ever selling things within that category. This is legitimate. Well done. Great to be a part of. So and they so just, just to remind our listener, they don't know all they know is the day, 
They don't know where it is. They don't know who the speakers are. And it's about trust. But I've got to believe that it was your fourth. It was your fifth or your fourth? Your fifth. It was your fourth, right? So you you had built up a brand. So there was, you know, you weren't the new kids. So you had that. Okay. So now... Uh, how? What was the the length of time from ticket sale date to the event? Yeah, it was about a month, and and that's when okay. like we've done a lot of work up until that point about how we're going to get people to the venue and all these other things. And I'm going to sure. pass it over to Hannah because that's when the design now comes into it about the user experience, okay. and that's when Hannah picks up. Well, there's a lot of just logistical things. Are we mm. going to tell people where to go? Well, that tells people where it is. Right. So Hannah, do you want to pick up what we actually designed? Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, it's, it's devil's in the detail, right? Of so course. Yep. We wanted them to meet us at a central location and we'd take them to the venue. Oh. So they, we, we didn't want them to know where they were until Saab, the MC, was on the stage and said, hey, guys, this is where you are. And so, so once, that I mean, the, once they were in the venue? Yeah. They were sitting down and then They Saab didn't know them. where they were? Oh my no. gosh. So it was it was a challenge. So we got them to meet us uh, at a place in Wellington called the Pukiaho War Memorial Center. So uh, a big Karelian, uh, a big war memorial, uh, a central point in Wellington. Um, really lovely, uh, lovely space, uh, freshly uh, made up uh, in terms of uh, garden area. And we were able to pull in three double-decker uh, red buses and they were whited out uh, or blacked out um, with uh, Ted, famous Ted quotes so no one could see outside of the bus when they got in. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, which was which was good. Um, it was also a hot day so oh. <laughs> the only the only downside of this the whole event was that they were a little hot on the buses but right. we, we, we will we'll move on. So uh, we had... Um, about 170 delegates on three blacked out double decker buses and the drivers were only told that morning where they were going and we they drove uh, uh, probably a 20 minute journey um, to the venue now uh, as the buses pulled up uh, to the side of the venue we built a, a tunnel oh no so, you didn't We'd built a red tunnel so that they came off these blacked out buses into the tunnel and then we'd uh, cordoned off um, so they couldn't see the venue where they were and they walked straight into uh, the uh, speaker space. Um, And uh, so only when they were sitting down... Uh, after they'd finished marveling at the interior, uh, did Saab uh, announce where they were? And where, uh, some, okay. some people, where, where were they? Oh, I was going to say, some people in the industry might have clocked on, but they were at Park Road post-production, which is Peter Jackson's, uh, I guess you'd call it his private cinema. Um, so it's where all the rendering and post, uh, post-production uh, happens uh, for uh, the films and uh, and it was uh, in his private cinema it, it's a glorious place it feels like a home uh, yes. and i'm sure you've been there yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> many times yeah yeah <laughs> so there are about a thousand led stars on the ceiling yep. and um, people felt comfortable they mm-hmm. were excited um i, I have was, goosebumps cool now feel. did sir peter was he there did he 
say hi or do anything? He was there the day before, um, yeah. but no, he, he wasn't able to uh, open the event. That would have been amazing. Mm. Next time. <laughs> I, uh, I have fond memory of um, there was one motion capture scene. They, you know, he pioneered or he he didn't pioneer motion capture but he figured out how to do a lot of it really fast and to be able to integrate it into the workflow and that was my job as a software guy and to yeah. go he had this long like a warehouse and just this long row of computers and all these guys sitting in this whole green stage and and I'll never forget because he was um, that was when it, he was uh, bi the big Peter and uh, mm. he would sit in the, he had this huge easy chair up on risers with all these monitors in front of him and snacks on either side big piles of snacks I never forget that um, <laughs> but he was it was, it was just a, a joy to work with so now everybody's going oh my gosh look where we're at and mm. how did you and we'll finish on well, – well, I have a couple other questions, but I want to – listener, thank you for your patience because this is such a good <laughs> story. Um, how did trust play out in the thematic uh, talks? How did you – because a lot of times the, the theme is, mm -hmm. is, is, is an influencer, right, of where you're going with your talks. They're not directly dotted line, but how did that happen? So we don't really do that. Okay. So we don't really look for for our talk, our speakers, sorry, to speak about the theme because we use our theme nowadays to inform the whole event experience. Yes. So this year our theme is perspective. So we'll be designing things all around that, and a couple of the talks will maybe speak to that. But we're not we're not we're doing our themes approaches to the user experience rather than the talks on the stage will speak to this. So, so that's a different point of difference as well. And I appreciate that distinction and organizers listen to that. Um, that, that is really the nuanced way to go about it because if, if everybody gets up there and they somehow work the theme into their talk, it gets a little nauseating after a while. Mm. Sorry to say, but yep. it, it does. Yeah. It's a little and obvious. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, we've learned from the past that, you know, you end up doing that round peg square hole. Yeah, You're yeah. trying to get something yeah. to fit that shouldn't really fit. Yeah, yeah. And we want people to stand, like I said before, and use the same language uh, in their true authentic self and their own story. And we don't want to then hinder that with some kind of thematic approach that we're taking to the talks on the stage. We'll still use the, the theme to inform some of the in-between bits and definitely the experience, the whole thing wrapped around. Mm. But the talk should be like you go to TED.com, you press play because you don't know what you're going to get. Right. And that's the right. beauty of it. The um, I, I will make a link in the show notes to the trailer that you put up announcing the theme. Oh, yeah. Do. Oh, my gosh. That, you have to give it, a shout out. To who? Um, strategy Design and mm. Fox and Co. So, in combination, those two companies uh, helped us. They're partners this year, and they they put together that brilliant video. I have, I have goosebumps just recalling it because I I watched it and I was like, hold it, what? No, no, mm. wrong. You got to stick no. with it. Right. No, you were getting angry. <laughs> well, it it was it 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 evoked an emotional response, which which what you want, right? And yeah. then. 
it switches perspective, which was the whole point. And it went, oh, you got me. <laughs> and it was, it's really, really well done, well played. I, I love that. Um, yeah. What, I mean, you're, everybody wants to come to your TEDx, but if I were to give you a ticket anywhere in the world and the time and the freedom to go, what TEDx would you like to go visit? I think I'd probably like to go to TEDx Melbourne. Um, oh. we've, we've, uh, remember when I said earlier about, uh, we got together all Australia and New Zealand, yes. um, yes. uh, organizers and, um, what's his name? John. John. No. Uh, yeah, John Yo. John. John Yo. Yeah. John Yo, uh, who organizes it, uh, really inspired me. I think they're a few, few years ahead, uh, in terms of number of years they've done it and uh i'd just really like to go and and see what their crafted experience is because they will have improved over time as as a we and i i think it yeah i think it would be a real spectacle I'd, I'd like to go well we'll we'll make sure that there's two seats set aside for you there oh, um, gracias, gracias. <laughs> the um <laughs> you know the show's called hacking the red circle and you know, trying to figure out within, and you said it earlier, you know, the, the rules and, and all of that, you know, how do you do this within all those constraints? Um, I like to say creativity craves constraint. Um, and, you know, when you talk to Will in New York, he'll, he'll say, you know, they're not rules, they're, they're guidelines, right? They're there to help you get, the, get your thing done. Still, though, we have to hack it. To, to actually get it done on the kind of low budgets that we have and all the impossibilities. Mm. So what is, what's your best hack in eight or nine words? Uh, I'm going to touch back on what DK said, but it's the action-based uh, approach we have. So every meeting uh, is orientated around doing things. The, the people aren't volunteers, they're actioneers, and it allows us to be a lot quicker uh, when it comes to organizing, because it does take up a lot of time. I love that. You guys, this has been fantastic. Uh, this is the, my first uh, uh, two for uh, interview, and I, I liked that. That was a really fun dynamic. When's your next event? It's the 18th of June, Sunday, the 18th of June. Oh, my gosh. St. Ja James Theatre. It's it's almost here. Uh, and, again, people will be listening to the show. Who knows? It might be a year from now they're listening. So they can, if that's true, they can go watch the videos. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and the documentary. And, and the documentary, of course. Uh, it's, I mean, there, it, this is so much fun doing what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just love it. You yeah. guys, thank you so much for being on the show. We, we really thank enjoy you. getting to know you better. And uh, we can have people find you at TEDxWellington.com, yeah? Yes. Indeed. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at HackingTheRedCircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.